Good evening, everyone. It is great to see you all for week eight of Alpha. Uh, I see we have almost a full house again tonight, so that's good to, to have you here on the eve of Thanksgiving Eve. And we want to wish all of you uh, a thanks-filled Thanksgiving. I uh, want to also thank you guys for being live stream with us again. I know we have a special guest from Huntsville, Alabama tonight that's joining us. So Alpha is just nationwide, worldwide even. Who even knows where we may be? Someone's bored in the middle of the night in, I don't know, somewhere in Belgium watching. You, you just don't know. But um, hey, also, it's the eighth week. If you make it through 10 weeks, if you have perfect attendance, remember, there is an awards ceremony. And uh, now the... The Board of Regents of Alpha University are getting together just to say, in case you miss one, you may get semi-perfect attendance if you made nine out of ten. So, uh, so if, 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 you've, if you're watching, if you've been watching live stream and you have uh, not missed, you are, you are eligible for perfect attendance as well. So let your hosts know that so we can make sure you are appropriately recognized for your amazing accomplishments. This may be the first thing you ever graduated from. So this could be a great evening together. So, well, I'm hoping if Alpha has done anything for all of us over the course of these eight weeks we've been here, I pray it's at least helped us clearly understand what biblical Christianity is and what biblical Christianity is not. Uh, there's a big difference between meological Christianity and biblical Christianity. Meological Christianity is not Christianity at all, at, at all. And tonight, as we continue our introduction to the Christian faith, we're in session eight, we're on page 46, who is the Holy Spirit? Now, we've talked about stereotypes and assumptions over the course of these seven weeks, and tonight we're going to do the, the same thing. We, we kind of, we grow up in a Christian culture we go to a church, there's typically a, there's a, a cross on the wall or outside the, the building, and so because we go into the building and we, we're there, we think maybe we learn some stuff, and maybe we do learn some stuff, and I, hopefully we do learn some stuff. Um, but a centerpiece or a center person of Christianity is the Holy Spirit. But for the, for the most part, you know, the Holy Spirit's really been ignored and misunderstood as the third person of the Godhead. Uh, and obviously there's more concentration on a father and a son because we can see a father. You know, many of us in here, guys in here, are fathers and sons. Uh, so it makes natural sense. It's easier to understand that concept than it is of a Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, I think of Casper the Friendly Ghost. I think of the, sometimes the Holy Spirit in some, some traditions called the, the Holy Ghost. And in the, in the tradition in which I grew up in, I knew nothing about the Holy Spirit. I just knew, though, he probably had something to do with my shoulders because I would pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So I, that's the only thing, that's the only connection I had to a, a Holy Spirit. So maybe, you know, you've seen the little good angel on one side and the bad angel on the other side. I didn't know if that had anything to do with it. But, but what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Why don't we find out what the Bible says? Uh, as we have been doing. Well, the, the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, is he is not a ghost or a force. Um, he's not an attitude. He's not a spirit.
spirit, like, you know, like team spirit, like cheerleading kind of thing. Um, he, is, he is the third person of the Trinity. He's not a ghost. He's not a force. He's not an attitude. He's a person, the third person of the Trinity, right? And, and the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit thinks, he speaks, he leads, he grieves. And I'm just going to just share with you a, a, just a couple of scriptures about that. In the Acts of the Apostles, we, we see this written of James, who was the leader of the church in the first century, and James, who was the brother of Jesus, the natural brother of Jesus, I guess some could say the half-brother of Jesus, says, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. Okay, as, as the church is being uh, brought to life and growing, there are things in which needed to be made clear. And, and James says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon these things. The, so the Spirit leads, he, he teaches as well. The Spirit, uh, brethren, the Scripture had to be fulfilled with the Holy, which the Holy Spirit told us out of the mouth of David concerning Judas. And this is Peter in the, at the beginning of the church. And so the book of Acts, just in case you're not sh- remembering this from, from, uh, from session five, how and why should I read the Bible? We have the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then Acts is the story of the first church, the birth of the church and the church throughout the first century and the, and the spread of the church. So it's a, it's a great historical book to write. Historians say that, that the book of Acts is probably one of the most historically sound ancient documents that we have. And so fascinating, written by the Gentile physician who is Luke. Let's just talk real quickly about a little bit of biblical history. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation, both the creation of the universe, the creation of man, and we're going to find out in a few minutes, the recreation of man. So we see here that in Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, So the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth. It didn't say that two amoeba got drunk on a Saturday night, got together, and the next thing you know, here we are in some big cataclysmic, you know, functionless big bang. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the, the, heaven, the earth was formless and, and empty. Darkness was over the surf, surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay, we see the Spirit involved in creation. Now, if we look, as we go deeper into the Hebrew Scriptures of the Old Testament, we will see that the Holy Spirit came upon particular people at particular times to perform particular tasks or particular purposes. And if you're looking in your manual, I don't have this up on the screen, but just to look at these quickly, we'll see particular individuals. And there are many, but these are just four that are brought out in the manual. A guy named Bezalel, that this, it said the Spirit anointed him to be able to do all types of incredible craftsmanship and artisanry for the vessels that were in the tabernacle of God in the, in the wilderness. We see Gideon, okay, he was, who was anointed for leadership over Israel, over Israel's enemies, particularly the people of Midian. Samson, we've all heard of Samson and Delilah. Okay, well, he was anointed with strength to defeat the other enemies of God, in this case, the Philistines. And then Isaiah. Uh, when we go to the book of Isaiah, we see so many prophecies concerning the Messiah or Jesus that are given. And we could, um, 
there are so many there, just so much fun to look at. And we've actually looked at a couple of them already. But we could go through Moses and Abraham and Zechariah and Micah and on and on and on of the ways in which the Spirit would come upon people. And all this is a, a, a foretelling of the Christ who is to come to be the deliverer, the anointed one, <clears throat> excuse me, of God. And we see that he was promised. The Bible shows us that he was promised by the Father, speaking through the prophets, as I said, before Christ, of a new covenant, a new promise that God is making with man. So about 600 years before, before Jesus, a prophet by the name of Ezekiel wrote this. And I want you to see the eyes. I've, I've emphasized the eyes here because, again, I, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how God is the initiator, that it is incumbent upon that one which is greater to communicate to that one which is le- lesser, for supernatural to communicate with natural. It is, it is imperative that that happens. So look, look here. It says, here's God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, you guys, I'm getting a lot of use out of my cups here, and I, didn't, I knew you'd be upset if I didn't have my cups here again tonight. So let's just take a look at how Ezekiel is corroborating our our cup analogy here. So I will give you a new heart. Well, why do you need a new heart? Because you have a dead heart. Isn't that what, isn't that what, that's what Ezekiel says. I will remove from you your heart of stone, dead. I'll give you a heart of flesh, a live heart, a beating heart. And I will put my spirit in you. Why do I need my spirit, his spirit in me? Because I have a dead spirit in Adam, a spirit that is dead, remember, separated from God. He'll put his spirit within me, I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws, my ordinances, the things I want you to do. It's like the Holy Spirit comes in and he, he gives me a new want to. He changes my motivation, my desires, the things that are important to me, my passions. That's what he does. He's the one that comes and gives me life. Again, 700 years, even before Ezekiel prophesied, we see in the book of Joel, he says, and it will come to pass, come right after that, that I will pour out, here's God speaking through Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, they'll speak forth the truths of God, that's what that means. Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, and even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, in the United, if, if this was something that was before the Equal, Opportu- Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, they would be very happy over Joel. I mean, look at these things here. Sons, daughters, men, women, servants. I mean, this is, this is the stuff that HR manuals are made out of, that we're not discriminating against anyone. And that's what we're saying here. So when we see this, that God's going to pour out his spirit, and then going back to Ezekiel for a minute, I'll give you a new heart. I'll remove your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move in you to desire what I desire for you, that which is best for you. I mean, who's he speaking to here? Who's his audience? 
Well, if this book has been spared and kept through history and met us on November 24th, 2020, I would argue, I think reasonably, that God wants you and me to know this. He intended for that which was written some 2,600 years ago to meet our ears and our eyes and our hearts so that we would know this. It's fascinating. And so what we see through all of this, we see the work of God and we see you know, between the last book of the Old Testament, which is called Malachi, there's an intertestamental period, a gap of about 400 years between what we see God doing there and kind of a, a, a time of quietness, just to put it in a, a casual way. And then we begin to see the Holy Spirit beginning to work and in, in many different ways. And, and we see that, that the way in which he works is we see the announcement to Zechariah of a prophet that would be born out of his loins. A guy by the name of Zechariah and his older wife, Elizabeth, they are found to be pregnant. And so through the angel Gabriel, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, this is what the angel says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. That is John the Baptist. Now you understand, John wasn't a Baptist. You know, that wasn't his denomination. You understand that. So he was John the baptizer. He will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. So we're beginning to see the work of God's Spirit in new and fresh ways in this new covenant that Jesus will be bringing. And then we see also the angel Gabriel comes to Jesus' mother. Okay, you'll be hearing this scripture a lot lately as we get into the Christmas season. Okay, and the angel answered, right, Mary's asking the question, wait a minute, how am I going to be pregnant? I've never known a man. I've never been with a man. How's this going to happen? And the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Now, this is important for those of you who are paying attention or here in week four. Okay, if Jesus is the son of Joseph, he cannot be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because even if he'd have lived a perfect life, guess what? He'd have lived it in the wrong family. He'd have lived it with the wrong DNA. He'd have lived it with a DNA that separates himself from God and he is born spiritually dead. So even if Jesus would have scored a hundred, never ever sinned, guess what? He is still in sin. You see, the issue with Christianity and the issue with God is not just our enumerated sins, it's our sin. It's our nature. That's what, as I told we've talked about before, sets Christianity apart from every other faith. Every other faith says, do better, do better. Christianity says, it doesn't matter how do, well you do. You're born into the wrong family. Christ comes to, by the Holy Spirit, take us out of Adam and bring us into Christ. To bring us to himself. Not to bring us to new rules, new regulations. To bring us to the person of Jesus Christ who loves us. And so we see here, Jesus had to be born of the Holy Spirit so he would be born with sinless perfection. And then John, John the Baptist, links the Holy Spirit with Jesus. We see this here. He says, as John begins his ministry and he begins baptizing, he, he declares publicly, as for me, I baptize you with water. 
But one is coming that is mightier than I, and I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. Quote. That's quite a statement. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, you know, when we talk about this baptized thing, we get this picture, if we grew up in a, in, a, in a high liturgical tradition, we get this picture of a little baby and taking a little water and kind of sprinkling this thing. The Greek word baptize is not about have you had your sprinkle today. That's not what we're talking about. The, the word baptize in the Greek is, is, is the word meaning to immerse, to saturate, uh, to completely soak and envelop. Okay, so we're not talking about some little touch here, something you, you wipe off with a, with a, with a rag because you got a little damp. He will baptize you, immerse you, completely consume you in the Holy Spirit and fire. So that this picture that Jesus is giving uh, is being given here through John is that Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit, he'll give us the Holy Spirit. And what is the Spirit? Well, the Spirit is going to come, the Bible says. We're going to look at some scriptures in a moment. He's going to immerse us in the truth that the Holy Spirit brings. He's going to immerse us in the Holy Spirit, bringing to mind the things that Jesus taught us. And so we get immersed in the truth, right? We get taken out of Adam. We get put into Christ. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And the life, and so we receive that life, that truth by the Holy Spirit. So we'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit in fire, and pictures of fire would be that of purity. He will purify us. And another picture of fire is passion. Our passions change when we see this God who has loved us so much, and I see the immensity of his gift to me that I have a new passion, I have new desires. New things are important to me. I see things. It's like the, the glasses have been, the blinders have been taken off and I see life as it's supposed to be. I see it in living color in the way in which God has intended it. So what Jesus taught, as I was saying, what Jesus taught, the Holy Spirit reveals. We may hear God with our physical ears. Pardon me, we may hear things with our physical ears. But it is the job of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us with conviction that the Bible is the truth. It's like, as I said, the Holy Spirit removes the blinders. He pops the wax out of our ears so that we can see and we can hear and we can understand what God wants us to know. And he does that, interestingly enough, he does that in his time. So... If, if tonight, we, when we sit back at the table, if you guys at my table ask me a question about why does God do things this way or in this time, I will tell you, and I'll tell you right now, I have absolutely no clue. I just don't know. But I guess that's what makes him God. Um, uh, and so he does things in his way, in his time. I, I, I'll just tell you, when, when my uh, grandfather, and my cousin is here tonight, her grandfather as well, and uh, was... 90 years of age. Um, I, I, I'm not spare, I'm not, I'll spare you all the details, though it's fun to tell the story. For me, it's fun to tell the story. Um, but he is lying on a bed that would be his deathbed. Um, just had hip surgery. Doctors said this man is vibrant. 90-year-old man. Heartbeat of a, of a healthy 60-year-old. I mean, if you're 30 and you go, this guy's got the heartbeat of a 60-year-old. He's amazing. You're going, guy's dead. Um, but... Incredible shape, good shape, and uh, 
I went to my grandfather and uh, I wanted to tell him about his need for Jesus. And without going all the details, though it is so much fun to tell you, uh, uh, he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ two days before he was to die. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this story because later that night, it was a Thursday, later that night, my, my cousin's dad went to the hospital to visit her dad. And um, we may get censored on, on this if I tell you this, but I'm just going to tell you anyway. It's not that bad. But so my uncle, Goo's dad, could see that her, uh, his father was acting kind of weird. He seemed more peaceful than he was used to my Italian high-strung grandfather acting. Um, and and uh, my uncle said to him, this is what he said, because my uncle told me this. He said, you're not going to go and die on me, are you, damn it? Are we still on? Okay. Um, and my grandfather said to him two words that you would never imagine coming out of his mouth, which, which in a way was kind of stamped that my grandfather had surrendered his life. He'd gotten in the wheelbarrow. Uh, he said to him, why not? And two days later, in spite of everything doctors thought this man, this 90-year-old strapping man would do, he passed. Now, do I understand why 90 years? I don't know. He lived, he lived to be, I tell people he lived to be two years old, right? He, he was in Christ for two days, to the best of my knowledge. So I don't understand how God works like he works, why he works like he works. I don't know, but that's what makes him God and me and a fairly ignorant man that by his grace has gotten in the wheelbarrow and trusted him. So, Let's go on and see some things here. Here's what, here's what Jesus said in, in the 14th chapter of John. He says, here's what Jesus... Now, just hear Jesus speaking to us here. If you love me, he says, you're, you're going to do what I want you to do. You're going to... I mean, the commandment sounds like such a hard word, but you're going you're gonna to keep my commandments. And, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper. He'll give you another helper. Okay, so Jesus comes as a helper, okay, and... He's going to bring the, give the Holy Spirit as another helper to be with you forever, right? Jesus is just going to be with us for a short period of time on earth in this, in, in this body, but the Spirit's going to be with you forever. See, Jesus is, is housed in a body. The Spirit will have no, uh, nothing that will disallow him from being anywhere. So for even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive him, okay? If you're an Adam, that won't happen because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. These things I have spoken to you while I am still here in the body with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have told you. Now, that's pretty amazing. So he's telling these disciples, the stuff I've taught you, the Spirit is going to bring it to your, remem your remembrance. You remember all the things that I have said to you. Now, you think about those promises for these men and, you th and women, and you think about these promises for our lives and what God, by the Spirit, desires to do in our lives. It's pretty, pretty amazing. In John 16, we go up a, little, a couple of more uh, chapters. He says, 
when he, Jesus, is speaking here, the, Holy, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. So let's just talk about that just for a second. So the spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will guide you, direct you, lead you, point you. You're blind. You don't know where you're going. Okay? And it says the spirit is going to give you eyesight, discernment, wisdom. He'll guide you and lead you into all the truth. He'll bring glory to me. In other words, he's going to point people to Jesus is what he's saying. I'm going to point people to Jesus by taking what is mine, that is truth. I've added that in there. That's not there in the scripture, but just so you know that. Truth is truth is teaching and making it known to you. Not just something that gets plastered on a plaque, something that gets plastered in your heart and you remember because it's not just a dead teaching it's a live spirit that's speaking of God's love for you and power in you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But, but he, in his function as the third person of the Trinity, he can be ignored, he can be missed, he can be misunderstood, he can be resisted, and believe me, I could say the amen to every one of those. But the question is, why? Why ignore or resist? You see, the, the question for me, maybe the question for you, was, do I not believe or am I afraid of the perceived ramifications of believing? What's this mean? What's getting in this wheelbarrow saying I do receiving the gift actually mean? Um, is there some kind of bait and switch going on here? I mean, what is, what is going on? Or do I simply not want to acknowledge I have sinned? I have failed. I have come short of that which is acceptable to God. I just don't want to admit that I have a need that I can't satisfy. I have a scratch that I just can't itch. Um, look, when, when Alpha's done, God will not be done. Uh, he will be the gum on your shoe. Okay? Or maybe he'll be the gum on your soul. I wish I had a laugh track for that, but I don't. Uh, it, no, it's too late. It's too late. I, I, okay. but, but it's so true. I, and again, just another story. Dear friend, um, his name is Gary. Some of you in here know him. Gary's a very, very, um, very, very affluent guy, a uh, very successful man in the city of uh, New Orleans. Um, as I said, very well known, came to Alpha many years ago. And I remember we were sitting at the table with him and, uh, and just kind of laid out the, the simple truth of the gospel. Uh, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, he wants you to receive Jesus. He, he wants you to know that. He just wants you to confess your need for him. And he will give you new life and he'll never leave you and he'll never turn his back with you. He'll be with you in the best of times and the worst of times. He will be a friend that sticks closer to the bro than a brother. He will be more amazing to you than you can imagine. And nothing you could ever have on this planet will, will in any way compare to what he will have for you in the dash and in the line. Why would you not accept that? And he looked me square in the eyes. And he said a three-letter word which spoke volumes. And that word was, he just said it, ego. He did want, not want to admit 
that there was something in his life that disqualified him for anything. Something in his life that said, you aren't good enough. You can't make it on your own. You need help that you can't buy, that no person, no thing can give you. Now, I am grateful to report that just a short time after that, maybe five or six years, I got a phone call at like three in the morning. And, um, and my friend Gary had said, no more fighting. I want him. Um, and I'm grateful to this day to get to walk with that man and to see what God does when he pulls that stinking three-letter word out of the way and uh, says, no more ego. Um, where do we go, God? So, so that's some of the, the work of God's Spirit. And so Jesus talks about the Spirit in John 3. We probably spent some time in John chapter 3 when he addresses the religious leader Nicodemus. Okay, John 3, this is what Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. I mean, here's Nicodemus, a, a, a wealth of knowledge, one of the high uh, leaders, business people, religious leaders of, of, uh, of Israel on the, the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling court of of Israel, you must be born again, he says. He says, look, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so flesh gives birth to flesh. Rogers gives birth to Rogers. Munoz gives birth to Munoz. Turley gives birth to Turley. I mean, this is, this is it, right? Mom and dad get together one night have a great time, right? And next thing you know, egg meets sperm and boom, or bam, whatever, what Emerald would say. There you are, there you are. And, that, and everything that's going to make you up, right? Make, make you up, make, yeah, let's just say that, make up you, whatever. It's going to be right in there. Eye color, hair color, height, freckles, no freckles. Everything is right in there. And what, what gets added? Time and nutrition. See, that which is born of the flesh, the Bible doesn't say, is becoming flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. We just haven't seen the fullness of that baby coming out in nine months. And then what grows from there? Who grows from there? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. If you're born in Adam, you're born physically alive, spiritually separated from God is what the Bible says. But that which is born of the Spirit, this is the second birth. This is where the Holy Spirit is not just in creation of physical things. He is in creation of spiritual things. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. right? And then Jesus says, don't be surprised at me telling you this, Nicodemus. This has got to be. It's, you must be born again. You must be born a first time physical and physically, and then the second time spiritually. See, because the wind blows where it pleases. Okay, you don't know. We should know about wind in this area, right? We know a little bit about wind. Um, the wind blows where it pleases. You hear the sound of it. You don't necessarily know where it's coming from or where it's going, but you know it's there because you. What Jesus is saying is, you see the signs of 
this, you see the signs of the wind. Though you don't see the wind, you see the signs of the wind. Now, the word spirit in the Greek is the word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. We get the word pneumatic. We get air from it, air pressure. All these different things come from that. So pneuma, we don't see the wind, pneuma. You see the effects of it. So he's speaking here, Jesus is speaking about, and this is amazing, the personal interaction, I mean, wow, the personal interaction of the Spirit in the lives of men and women just like you and me. You see his effects like you see the wind. You don't see him, but you see and you feel the effects of them and we've had so many circumstances and maybe tonight at your tables you can talk about some of these um wow um you know what i would just talk about real quickly is there was there was a lady in our church many years ago um she had had one miscarriage after another it seemed like it was gonna be impossible for her to have a child and they were about to adopt a child they finally got in line for adoption because she just was not able to get pregnant or when she did get pregnant she miscarried and so um, we got together we're having dinner together to celebrate the adoption the day of the celebration of the adoption it all fell through we still got together for dinner and we just decided to pray together for a little bit while we're praying one of the people that are there praying has a picture in their mind of a baby in utero now how do you explain this I don't know. The Bible says your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Now, I don't know where the old and new gets cut off on that, you know, the dreams and the visions part, but let's just say it was a young man. Um, And at that moment, you can only imagine telling or asking, hey, I just saw this. How would you feel about us praying about this? I mean, that's kind of scary in and of itself. Just let's get the hopes up again. Well, she said, sure, let's pray. And we prayed and few weeks later we get a phone call and that young lady is how old today 22 23 uh these these are just incredible there's a someone that worked with me served in the united states army uh his his uh team was one of the first teams to go into um afghanistan um I think it was Afghanistan, it may have been Iraq, from um, Kuwait. And he came back, and every night he would wake up in a sweat, having horrific PTSD dreams, nightmares. Um, He came to Alpha, um, came into my office, and he said, I just want to make sure this is what you've been saying. So he basically told me the gospel. It was, it was amazing. He just laid it out. He said, is that what you've been saying? I said, yes, sir. He took, he bent over, sitting next to my desk. He put his elbows on his knees, his hands in his face, and he got in the wheelbarrow. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said, Jesus, I want you. Come into my life. Something like that. Hasn't had a PTSD nightmare since then. Now, I don't know how you explain that, except for a miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit. 
And there are times we've had another woman at Alpha, and I'm not saying this to aggrandize Alpha. Please don't anybody say, hey, come to Alpha and you'll get everything you want. Um, but there was a lady that came to Alpha um, several years ago um, and surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. And uh, it's a joy to watch her grow. And she uh, succumbed to breast cancer two years ago. But the joy in this woman's life, if she is with, she's out of the dash and she's in the line. My grandfather maybe got two days of 90, I don't know. This gal got a couple of years. But the joy, and if, you could, if, we, if, we, if we could interview her on the other side now, in the line, are you glad? She, said, she would say, I wouldn't replace what I went through for anything. Because I brought Jesus with me for the couple of years I had in the dash and he's with me now forever in the line. See, the Spirit will be with you forever and now in heaven with the Father and, uh, and the Son. And so many more. I just I have several here that I just don't have time to, to go through. But again, maybe at your tables you can discuss some of those. But God does what he does when he does for his purposes. Um, so, and I can't be fairly convinced or, uh, and committed to follow through with our wheelbarrow analogy that the Spirit is moving in uh, the lives of every one of you who are here or have been watching live stream. Uh, maybe say you're just not the same as you were eight weeks ago and that's not because you've gained weight because of all the food that you've been eating here. I, I can't speak for you guys online, but... Um, but there's something, you know you're not the same. And let me just give you a, a few examples of maybe 12 evidences of the Spirit's working in our lives. And I, uh, the first one's a little humorous, um, but these are not meant to be uh, in any way humorous necessarily. One, uh, you have heart palpitations every time you see a wheelbarrow. It's just kind of getting to you, um, this wheelbarrow thing. But, but look at this one too. You're still coming. Okay, this is only supposed to be four weeks. Do you understand this is the eighth week, okay, and you're still coming, okay. Uh, you are, you're curious or you're convinced, maybe you couldn't have cared caca about this Christian crud before, now you're at least curious, okay, or maybe you've gone from curious to convinced or maybe you said, yes, Jesus, I want to know you. I mean, there's, you're, 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 there's a, a sense of something different, something happening inside of you, um, you're critically thinking and, and evaluating. You haven't really critically thought about Christianity or the Bible or God before, and you've begun to do that over the course of these, of these eight weeks or maybe in ways in which you haven't done in a long time. Um, you're actually reading and you're understanding the Bible. They're part, maybe you don't understand it all, but you're, there's kind of this, this drawing into it and, you're, and, and you're reading this and you're seeing the application you're hearing God speak to you through the word. You're praying as if you were conversing with God. Because you are. You're not just checking off a list of repetitive things that mean nothing to you. You're communicating with the God who said, come to me. I want you to come to me. I want to give you rest. I want to take your burdens. Communicate your heart with me. I want to know because I want you to know that I know. I want you to tell me because I know. I want you to be humble before me. Uh, you're talking about God in public and not in expletive form. 
You're actually, actually having conversations about God publicly. They're serious conversations. Uh, you're attending church more regularly and you're actually liking it. There's not a sense of, uh, I need to have a good week this week, so I'm going to go to church. And you're actually listening. You're actually hearing things in your, in your services that you've never maybe heard before. Suddenly things are, you're feeling these sparks of life, like nerve endings, like your, your arm that's been asleep your whole life and you never felt it. You're starting to feel it and things are moving and coming to life. I say that's the spirit. You're, you're more conscious of sin. Hey, you're, a more, you're more aware of what just came out of your mouth, what you just thought about that person, what you just uh, did to that person. You're thinking about those things. Um, you're experiencing a change in your actions and attitudes. You're doing different things. You're thinking different ways. You're feeling about people and circumstances in different ways. Um, this is fascinating. A sense of his absence. What does that mean? There's a statement that Tim Keller makes, which is, is beautiful. He says, a sense of his absence is a sign of his presence. Think about that. You've never sensed that absence before. Or you've sensed it and kind of got moved away from it. There's this aware... I'm, I'm aware that something is missing that should be here. Well, if what the Bible's telling us is true, that there is someone that is missing that doesn't want to be here. That sense of his absence is a sign of his... Hello? I'd like to come in. I want you. You need me in the dash. You need me in the line. So a, sign, a sense of his absence is a sign of his presence. Twelve. Ten weeks just doesn't seem long enough. I mean, it's just like, gee, what are we going to do after ten weeks? Well, I have absolutely no idea, but we can talk more about that. Um, and for those of you guys who've been watching live stream, I mean, it's eight weeks, you're still doing this. I'm sure the food is good. But have you considered there may be something more than that? Maybe you never would have come into uh, a church atmosphere and done this, but it was more comfortable to do it online. Huh, so interesting. Maybe COVID was just for you. I, I don't really believe that. But you never know what, why circumstances led you to where you are. And being virtually in a place that you wouldn't have been otherwise. I mean, think about that. Is that just happenstance? I would argue, I don't think so. I don't think so. But think about this. What if God is actively, actually pursuing you? Pursuing you. More than the convenience of a nice meal on Tuesday, someplace to go, something different to do, or just to finally get that person off your back, right? <laughs> some of the reasons some people come to Alpha. Um, we got to remember that we have discussed that all of God is relational. And that is how the Holy Spirit mostly does his work. He does his work through relationships. He weaves our lives together with other lives. And then, and then suddenly you realize God has arranged this relationship. This is something, I, I wouldn't be here. I mean, I think about, I go to LSU, which is the last school I wanted to go to, but about the only school that would accept me. Um, I wish I was joking. Um, but, and it's there that I go to the wildness fraternity on, on campus. 
uh, not because it was the wildest turnaround on campus, but I knew some people there. Um, it was there that I met Christians, followers of Jesus. I knew nothing about what it was to be a Christian. I was a, a professional meologist at age 19. I told you that. And I surrendered my life to Christ. And then I meet a guy by the name of Bill Fagan. And the, this guy, Bill Fagan, becomes like a spiritual dad to me. And I eventually go to work with him. And he goes into full-time ministry. And then I eventually take over his business, which I've been running now since 1983. I, I don't know how to explain that. But for God's intervention in the midst of my total ignorance. See, the wind was blowing. I didn't see it. But I was experiencing it. And I've experienced that wind of God's spirit for many years. i just tell you this story real quickly. One of my favorite. This is... This is the uh, first grade class of New Orleans Academy, 1963. Okay, amazing, austere class of, of many, um, some great guys in here. Now this, this um, for those of you watching here, this over here is a guy named Edwin. Now you notice he's best dressed of everybody in here. Do you, know, you know what he does today? He is the, the main buyer, if I'm not mistaken, of pearless menswear. So you can understand. I mean, in first grade, it was already obvious that this guy was going to be a, a haberdasher. Is that right? A haberdasher? Something like that? Okay. I mean, here's the original Hannibal Lecter. We don't know what happened um, there. But, um, but uh, here's that cute little greasy Italian guy right there. That's, that's me standing at attention um, next to Miss Tasso. Miss Tasso, if you're still alive, call me. I'd like to see how you're doing. Um, but there's this guy here named Brian. Brian and I were best friends, my Jewish friend Brian. And uh, best friends through eighth grade when he flunked out of New Orleans Academy and he had to go to Ben Franklin High School. Now, I mean, not everybody can make it into the academy, like, um, but, but Brian, uh, it, I think he has his PhD in industrial psychology. And for some reason, I cannot for, forget Brian. I know his birth date, I know his phone number. I know he lived on Grape Street. I could, I mean, I know everything about his phone number, 866-3556. I remember that. I can't tell you why. And every August 4th, I'm calling Brian. Now, you know, now it's, he doesn't answer my calls. So I text him or something. But, um, so I've always wanted to get together with him because he lives in Atlanta now. And we did get together. I got together with my Jewish industrial psychologist friend, Brian. And we're talking about some difficulties that he's going through in his life. And I said to him, Brian, what if God, way back then knew he had a plan for my life and he had a plan for your life and he would keep me remembering you so I can tell you about this amazing thing that God's spirit has done in my life and I watched as tears filled my Jewish industrial psychologist lifelong friend's eyes and he just said to me through those tears what if now, I'm not quite sure where Brian is in terms of his faith today, but I know that God is working. In God's time, whether he's 90 on his deathbed, I don't know, but God's going to do what God's going to do, and I don't believe that that relationship is just a coincidence. Um, each of us has a story as to how we ended up here. Every one of us has a story as to how we ended up here. And I'd humbly but confidently argue that God is behind it. 
This is not happenstance. I don't have enough faith to believe that this is happenstance. Well, what I want to do is, I don't know that I'm going to get any further tonight than this, but I have to give you this. Um, Annette and I had the joy of uh, meeting Donnie and Judy Bourgeois way back in the year 2000 and... No, 1999, I think it was. And... um, and Donnie's been a part of Lakeview for uh, almost 19 years, I guess. And uh, I've asked Donnie to just come up tonight and share with you how the Spirit of God has worked in his life so you could first hear from somebody other than me, but hear a very compelling story of God's intervention in a very dramatic way uh, in the bourgeois' life. So, Donnie, would you come on up here, bud? And, um, and I'll either... You just... Take your liberty here. And um, here, I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to give you this because I didn't ask Mike to give you a, a mic. Is the microphone up here? This one work? It does. Okay, I'm leaving. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that introduction. Uh, well, good evening to all of you all and all of y'all out there in TV land, um, and happy Thanksgiving to you as well. Forgive me. Yeah, my name is Donnie Bourgeois, and I'm married to Judy Bourgeois, and I'm sorry she's not here with me tonight, but uh, we do have a story to tell, uh, but I'm going to give you a little nostalgia here first. I'm going to go back into time. Um, this will show how old I am, but uh, if you remember uh, S&H Green Stamps or maybe GEX uh, on Veterans or maybe Hoppers Drive-In um, or how about Frank Skating Rink on West Napoleon? Um, well, Frank Skating Rink was where I met my wife, Judy, 49 years ago. So she had come to the skating ring, and I was a skate boy there, and um, she had dropped her sister off. And lo and behold, she came back the next week, and the rest is history. (laughs) So, but uh, I'm going to fast forward that to uh, 19 years ago. And... uh, we had a conversation one night. We said, you know, we've got four beautiful children, three boys and a girl. I'm self-employed. We've got a nice home. We've got a camp. We've got a boat. You know, we've got a few dollars in the bank. Uh, but there's something missing. There's something missing here. We, there's got to be something more to life than, than, uh, than all that, we've, that we have. So uh, a year later... I leave on December 27th and go hunting in Woodville, Mississippi with a buddy of mine, Clyde, that worked for Energy. So we left that night, and uh, I was in Woodville. He worked for Energy, and cell phones were just coming to be at that time, and coverage was not good anywhere. But uh, the next morning we got up. It was about 12 of us in camp. It was pouring down rain. And I said, look, uh, I'm, I'm going to go. And Clyde said, I'm going to go, too. I'll drop you off, and we'll go hunt. 
So it was still dark. He dropped me off. I got up in the stand. I went in there probably five minutes, and I hear my name being yelled in the dark in the rain, Donnie, Donnie. I said, boy, that doesn't sound good. So I proceeded to get out of the stand. I met him back on the, on the, on the, on the road, and uh, he says, Judy's on the phone. Now, he, he had coverage in the woods in Woodville, Mississippi, right? I get, I, I get on the phone, and she says, Brennan's in the hospital. He's in a coma. And, I mean, I just dropped to my knees. I said, Lord, please don't let anything happen to him. Brennan was my, my third son. He was my, and, uh, I had three boys and a girl, and Danielle was my youngest one. So Clyde says, come on, let's go. I'm going to take you back, take you back into town. So he, we got in his truck, and he drove me back in. We came right on in. He is, uh, was in, in charity. He had been out the night before with his girlfriend. It was her girlfriend's birthday, and they were at a place off of Carrollton. They were dancing and drinking, having a good time. Well, this boy had the GHB drug, the date break drug, in a Gatorade bottle. Brennan loved Gatorade. Not knowing what was in that bottle, he picked it up, he drank half the bottle, so it suppressed him to the point where it stopped him from breathing. <clears throat> so when he fell out, his girlfriend went to the bartender and says, call an ambulance, and he said, get him out of here, he's drunk. So the boy knew, who knew what he had drank said, I got to take him to the hospital. So they, they put him in his car. They drove him halfway around the block. They, he stopped the car and says, get him out. I can't take him. I've got all this other paraphernalia in my car. So his girlfriend had to go back inside, get one of his other friends, put him in his truck, and they took him to charity. By the time they got him to charity, they said he'd already stopped breathing 10 to 12 minutes. So he was, he was brain dead. So I get to the hospital, and I'm, I'm basically running through charity looking for my, my wife and my son. And I, I met up with, with Judy and went in the room with Brennan. He was just he was, he's 18 years old. He's a senior at Ridgewood. And he's, just, he's laying in the bed like he's sleeping. And uh, I actually climbed in the bed with him and hugged him. And so we went to the hospital, went in for 11 days. And I did everything humanly possible, medically speaking, to try to get Brennan back to breathing or get this uh, oxygen back into his bloodstream. Well, at the time, uh, they had, uh, in St. Charles General, they had uh, hyperbaric chambers. And so we, we, we transported him to, to St. Charles General and it was an ordeal because the nurses, the doctors, everybody had to go. Everybody had to be there for him during this transportation. And so they, they got him there, and, and the hyperbaric chambers is, is like you're going underwater, and it's the pressure 10, 10 feet, 30 feet, 40 feet, 50 feet, and it's pressing oxygen into your blood. And I can see him. I can see him in a, in a, in a window, and I'm talking to him, and... The nurse says, go ahead, you can talk to him. He, he, he can probably hear you. Uh, and um, I told him I loved him. I said, Lord, don't take him. Take me. He's only 18. And uh, I was talking to Brennan, and there were some tears that came down his eyes. 
in that hyperbaric chamber. You know, some things you just don't ever forget. So we're in the hospital with him. They bring him back. And the second day we're in there, uh, a gentleman comes up to the hospital. And uh, he asks if he could go in there and pray over him. And I said, absolutely. So, I mean, the room was just packed. I don't even know how the other people up there. But he went in, and like I said before, there's some things you just don't ever forget. And this man came out, and he sat in the corner. It seemed like for like two or three hours. And he got up, and he walked to me, and he, he says, um, he handed me this track. And he says, if you get a, a chance, I'd like for you to read this. So he handed it to me, and I took it, and I stuck it in my back pocket just like this. Well, that night, I took it out, and I read it, and I read it again. And I did. I did what it told me to do. It's called Steps to Peace with God. It's just some second-grade illustrations with Bible verses. And I don't have time to tell you all that transpired in last, the next seven or eight days in that hospital, but I'll tell you this, that we were approached by Lopa on the seventh day, and I didn't even know what Lopa was, neither I or my wife. And we said, yeah, we'd meet with him. And we walked into the room, and the, the lady was sitting behind the desk. And we sat down, and she says, uh, we would like to ask you all if you would donate your son's organs. And we both looked at each other without hesitation, and we said, yes, we would. Now, Frank's talking about the spirit. Well, only by the spirit of God could we have made that judgment at that time, both of us. And I look back now, and I, and I know it was only by the spirit of God that, that I could have, have said that. Because if my son wasn't going to live, there's nobody else was going to live. But seven people's lives were saved by us doing that. So two weeks after I buried my son, I get a revelation well, after reading, reading one of the verses in, in this step to peace with God, I had a peace come over me. And in John fourteen twenty seven, Jesus says, Peace I leave you with, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And that came right off that page into this heart. And now for 20 years, I've never, I've never lost that peace. Never lost it. And then he tells me, two weeks after I buried my son, to start reading his word, pick up his word and read it, the Bible. So I, did, so I have. So now it's been about 19 and a half years. He gets me up at 4 o'clock every morning, and I get in his word. Every morning. Okay, where I'm at, where I am, uh, I, my alarm goes off. Well, just by reading his word. And the revelation, I never knew what a revelation was. But when he gives you a revelation, you never lose it. You never lose it. And when he gave me the revolution of, uh, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon ye and learn from me, for the gentle and humble of my heart will give rest to your soul. Well, I've, I've had that rest now. For 20 years, it's going to be 20 years now. Peace and rest. 
Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works one may not boast. I never knew what that meant. I never, never, I know what it means now because it's only by his grace that I could stand up here tonight and tell you the story that it is true and he is alive. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans for a hope and a future. My hope now is in my Lord and Savior. And I know my son was a gift from him. And for the things that have taken place now in my life, I have the privilege to speak to you tonight and to you all tonight about this and to tell you about this hope. And it's only through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the spirit he has put in me when I gave my life to him the second night in that hospital. And that's my story. And I wish my wife was here with me tonight. But I love you all. Love you, Brennan. Love you, Lord. Thank you. that story a few times, but I never get tired of hearing that story. Love you, man. You too. And by the way, this was the man that brought me that track. Okay, you didn't have to do that. Let me just go fast forwarding here. If you can read these, go right ahead. All right, that was good. Okay. Let me just close with this. Uh, we're because um, Donnie, I, 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 could, I have more stuff here, but we don't need to hear this. Um, who's the Holy Spirit? He's the third person of the Trinity. He comes to reveal Christ to us, sometimes through the most heartbreaking ways, sometimes not. But we always find that he is greater. I, when Donnie has time to share with you, or you meet his wife, Judy, and hear her part of the story, it's every bit as... Uh, God exalting uh, to hear how this mother uh, has been able to joyfully receive Christ and uh, and and trust the Lord with Brendan's life. Uh, it's just amazing. You see the grace of God. So now, this getting up at four o'clock in the morning every day for the last twenty years. I I I would say I'm not going to come to Christ because I don't want to be like you. I, you know. I, I, but I do want to be like you. I do. So how, how is he communicating? Well, let's just, just real quick. How does he come to reveal Christ? One, he's coming to reveal that God loves us. And, and he does. He has an amazing plan for our lives. He does. No matter how long or short the dash is, it's amazing. I'm convinced that my grandfather had two days of amazing, if that was all it was. And now he's experiencing, if Christ is alive, he's experiencing what you and I can, has never even entered into our minds. Okay, He wants us to know that we do fall short of God's perfect standard. We do fall short of that. But he's provided the way through Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit comes to do. 
not my efforts, as well as intended, as well intended as they may be. It's just like Donnie shared with us. It's by grace, unmerited favor that God takes us out of Adam and places us into Christ. He compels us. He's the one that's tapping on our hearts. He's the one that's worked in very mysterious, wind-like ways to bring us where we are tonight. That tonight could be the night that you're taken out of Adam, placed into Christ, the Spirit of God, now who's been working around you, now comes into you. And you become God's child. And he becomes our dad. And he empowers us. He empowers us to live above circumstances. I mean, you, you saw as Donnie, he didn't become some robot who forgot about his son. 19, 20 years later, there is still emotion. God doesn't ask us to become emotionless at all. We are us with Christ in us, hurting, grieving, but trusting in the midst of the uncertainties of life with a certain hope that he who began this good work in us will complete it. But to receive the gift, to say I do has, again, as I've told you, nothing to do with the denomination, the church you go to. has nothing to do with your spiritual uh, institution or allegiance. Um, to get in the wheelbarrow is not an... And understand, that to get in the wheelbarrow is not an invitation for me. Okay? Um, if what we've been talking about over these last seven weeks, now eight weeks, is true... It's an invitation from God himself. He just happens to be using certain people's voices, kind of his proxies, so to speak. It's him inviting, not, not, not me. I'm, I'm not trying to win you to something or someone. This is what God has done in so many of us. He wants to do in each and every one of us here and watching. Uh, it's not me proposing. It's... God proposing, it's Christ proposing. And I can't, tonight would be a great time to experience a reason for a thanksgiving like none you have ever, ever had. A reason for a thanksgiving bigger than turkey and cranberries and all that. Jesus says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for something that will last forever. He says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness who hunger and thirst for God who is righteous, who desire God, for you shall be filled, you will be satisfied. So tonight would be a great time just to open the door of your heart to him, invite him to come in and change your life for the rest of your life in the dash and forever with him in the line. He's just an I do away. He's just, would you like... To trust me? Would you like to get in the wheelbarrow? Would you like to receive the gift? He's just a trust away. The issue is not in your words. The issue of receiving Christ is in your heart because, ladies, before you said I do to that galoot, right? Gentlemen, before you said I do to that lady, before the words came out of your mouth, you'd already said it in your heart. See, what God says is, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Just say so. 
let what when you go to a wedding and you get married, you don't unless you go to Las Vegas. And there's nothing wrong with that. Please, if you got married in Las Vegas, I'm not. That's not a bad. But when you you want what? What are there? What's there to make this thing? There are witnesses to do what? Celebrate this union. And the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices. Now I can't imagine what that looks like. But just think about Mardi Gras if we would ever have one again. Mardi Gras on steroids. Jesus said, heaven rejoices when one lost is found. So what's the Holy Spirit do? He's the third person of the Trinity. And he comes to woo us to Christ. He comes to win us to Christ. He comes to reveal to us that we need him. He's the one that's been doing this. Not us. It's been him that's doing this. And if you're not sure, just continue to ask him. Continue to ask him because if you ask, you will receive, the Bible says. Jesus said, if you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be open to you. So next week, we're going to be in the topic of what about the church? I've gone to church my whole life. What, what does that mean? What is, is, is this what I'm experiencing, what the church really is? What does the Bible have to say about the church? So there's an experience we all know about being in the church, but uh, what's the Bible say the church is? That's a great question. And maybe some of us will have some, learn some things next week that would be beyond what we've ever experienced before. So we're going to take a, a quick break here. I want to thank you guys for joining us online. We hope to see you next week for uh, the topic about the church. Have a most thanks-filled Thanksgiving, and we hope to see you again next Tuesday night. Thank you all. Let's take a quick break.